listening to What the Dev, the weekly podcast of ST Times. And now, here's Dave Rubenstein, Editor-in-Chief of ST Times. Hi, everybody. Dave Rubenstein here, as you've heard. Uh, Today, we're going to be talking about uh, defect prevention. And is the art of defect prevention becoming a lost art, in fact? Uh, With me today is Adrian O'Leary. He's Senior Vice President of Quality Engineering and Intelligent Automation at technology services firm Apexon. Welcome, Adrian. Thanks for being here. Delighted to be here, Dave. Yeah, glad, glad to hear. So, uh, yeah, I guess the art of defect prevention uh, becoming a law start uh, is probably related to everybody's need today to go as fast as humanly possible and the trade-off between speed and quality. Uh, so why don't we get into it a, uh, a little bit? And why don't you tell me why you think that this is becoming a law start? Uh, Absolutely. You know, we've been doing a lot of research over the last, I'd say, six or eight months and um, really diving into DevOps and Agile and where organizations are with their different journeys um, when it comes to maturity. And what we've found in many cases is that organizations are drifting away from the original intent of the Agile manifesto. which is leading to operation issues, which is leading to uh, delays in delivering new features and functions. And we can see that they're all delivering at pace, but they're having quality issues. They're delivering at pace, but they're not deriving any value in a better customer experience or driving additional revenue for, for clients. So we believe organizations are, are not learning um, and not going back and doing root cause analysis, not doing proper value stream mapping, um, all of those things that you would you, you expect to see and you do see in the unicorns, the ones that are adhering to the Agile Manifesto and DevSecOps and DevSecRegOps, but also bringing in both lean and Six Sigma techniques to help them get rid of waste and non-value activities and everything they do. Mm-hmm. So when you talk about defect prevention, uh, a lot of people would put that on, let's say, developers uh, who are creating the code and making sure that they're writing uh, clean code that uh, does not have any uh, any issues. Uh, but I think you see that as a broader a broader topic. Absolutely, it is. You know, um, we, I was actually just talking to a client today, and very surprising that they are they're doing a lot of defect prevention in their, their unit test coverage. So their unit test coverage is 60, 70% of the products that they're developing, which is unusual because many of the customers that we talk to um, that are doing Agile and DevOps, it may be only 10 to 20%. Um, and those 10 or 20% is indicative of what we're seeing is that defects are leaking from face to face to face. So for instance, um, we this is about four months ago, we finished an initiative to go back and look at a program that had just finished and looked at where defects were being found versus where, where they were being injected in the first place. And we found in the UAT phase that 26% of the defects that were found in the UAT, UAT phase were actually injected in the requirements use case phase. Ooh. So you can see that's a lot of defects that are spilling um, from face to face to face. Right. So what do you do? You know, you need to back up and and start looking at why are these use cases um, causing so many defects as as they spill down, and that's the the prevention aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so here's a question that I have everybody to to kind of 
deal with the problem that you just laid out there talking about, well, we'll just shift security left. And I'm curious to know if that addresses the pace problem or if it just puts the hurdles earlier in the uh, production cycle, so to speak. I mean, can you gain speed from from dealing with security earlier? Um, yeah, you, you, you can. I mean, there's there's elements of of all types of operations that you can do if you do do it earlier in the process, performance testing, security testing, etc. Um, you're not going to be able to you're not going to be able to do complete end to end security and performance testing, as I would say, until after the fact when you start to bring all the components together. But absolutely, the earlier you're able to detect defects, it means you're you're not having to spend time on fixing those defects later in the process as as they're found later in the process, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So the cost of finding defects we're finding is not being able to is not being taken into uh, account. So when we go back and we do these root cause analysis um, on defects that are found late, later in the process, what we're really trying to do is look at cost avoidance. How can we help organizations avoid those high costs of, of finding and fi- fixing defects later in the process by putting processes in place up front? that you're able to fail fast. So when I get a code drop, I've identified, for example, the optimal number of defects to fail as fast as possible. And and doing that, I'm avoiding all these defects failing, passing uh, down further into the SDLC. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I I, I noticed in in something that uh, you had written or I saw in an email uh, about um, third-party components uh, impeding companies from being truly agile, and I was wondering what, what your thought is on that. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one. So we we kind of bucketed um, uh, companies out there into to four buckets on their their kind of quality journey. Uh, the right hand side are the unicorns that are using lean and six sigma and and agile and DevOps in the right method, but on the far left. There was a, a group we called people-centric, where there were no quality methodologies in place, and sometimes through no fault of their own. They're dealing with purely COTS products off the shelf, where they really can't influence what's coming into the organization. It's already there. Or they're dealing with third-party third data feeds or regulatory things that are coming into their environment. And there was one, one example um, where we'd come into an organization, and they were the quality organization was being being pounded on the head. You're a bottleneck. You're slowing things down. And it just didn't sound right. Um, so we peeled back the onion and started looking at, at, at gathering metrics to be able to have conversations around data with organizations that were third parties that we were dealing with. Um, and we looked at one particular metric, metric around incoming code from a third party into this, this client's environment. And we did a... Um, a mean time to detect analysis. So we looked at the planned number of builds up front and the actual number of defects. And we looked at the mean time to detect and came up with this beautiful bell curve. And the mean time to detect if everything went according to plan would have been 19 days. That's the top of that curve where things start to come down. Then we took the actual number of bills and it wasn't six which was the original, it was 26 bills. Hmm. And there was a lot of bills that were coming way close to the release date. 
And that put a, a massive impact on the testing organization. You didn't have a bell curve. You had an EKG chart. I'm productive. I'm not productive. I'm productive. I'm not productive. Okay. And that's why this testing organization was being viewed as a bottleneck, because they can't get anything out the door because of poor income equality. So no one realized that until we were able to gather this type of metric to be able to have the conversation with the third party about poor income inequality. So it wasn't about pointing the finger at them. It was like, what can we do to sit down together to ensure that we've got good income inequality? So we gave them access to a sandbox that they could deploy into first before they deployed into um, the actual customer's testing environment. And that meantime to detect um, I said it was if everything went well, it would have been 19. Uh, if everything went well, it would have been 19. It was actually 56 days. And we were able to bring it down over time to, you know, close to 20 to 21, um, which was getting close to best in class. But again, it's about gathering the right types of metrics to be able to have the conversation. And that's the hard thing. That's what organizations struggle with is is um, having data, the right set of data to be able to have conversations. Yeah. No, I mean, we hear all the time about people who bring in third party components, whether it's open source or, you know, off the shelf, what have you, with these data feeds, uh, you know, even APIs that they're using. Correct. You know, they just don't know how rigorous the vetting process has been. They just know they need that functionality. They bring it in mm -hmm. and, and, you know, it's too late by the time they realize that they're, it's problematic. Exactly, uh, exactly. But, but so what you're talking about is nice, but how do organizations, can they or are they starting to go back to these providers of these services to say, listen, you guys got to tighten it up or else we're not going to be able to use it anymore. I mean, if it's an open source project, I guess they don't care that much. But if it's a, certainly they're selling something, they would care. They are. I mean, you know, the, the, the old saying time is money, right? So if I'm having to delay my projects because of these third parties, absolutely, they're backing up and and saying, what can we do to work earlier together in the life cycle to ensure that I'm getting early, good, good, early, uh, good quality coming in? But again, I, I keep talking to organizations about you need the right set of metrics. You know, you have your burn up, burn down charts. But that doesn't really tell you much. It's it's about going back and doing those retrospectives after a project is finished. Um, a lot of developers, some will do defect pattern analysis, some won't. The, the developers that are very good and want to learn are doing those practices yeah. to ensure that they're learning from the mistakes that they've made the first time around. You know, when we talked last week, we talked about value stream mapping. Um, the mature organizations are constantly doing value stream mapping, looking for waste and non-value activities in the processes that they've got to ensure that they're learning and, and trying to go faster, but safer at the same time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let me uh, circle back to the original uh, proposition here and ask you what organizations can do. And I, I know we probably touched on some of it already, but maybe as a summary, to to bring back the art of defect prevention what, what uh, steps are organizations taking i think it's um you know we've touched on we've touched on a lot of these uh, you know having consistent practices um uh related to metrics having consistent practices related to um you know lean and six sigma <laughs> you know it sound they sound old practices but they're actually very very valuable 
um, the value stream mapping, the defect pattern analysis, the root cause analysis, and actually taking time to do those. They're they're great disciplines when they're when they're done right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've been into organizations where you'll have five or six product teams, and there's there is an interconnect between those products at some stage, but they'll have um, different tools to capture metrics. But that's okay as long as the metric is defined the same way within um, each of those tools. Mm-hmm. Then it makes it easier for the organization to be able to go back and and look. Uh, and uh, do things again right the first time. I think it's a lot of collaboration that needs to happen between the organizations that are in, involved in delivering a product. Mm-hmm. So it's the developers and the the testers or quality engineers sitting with the business and the, the BAs to write u- use cases right the first time. Um, working with enterprise architecture, if I want to do a lot of automation um, within my within my STLC, having the developers and the the estets, the testers, the quality engineers, work with the enterprise architects to design systems that enable automation. You know, we went to a, a we're at a digital born bank recently, and the API microservices all over the place were fantastic, but they were struggling with automation. And when we peeled back the the onion. The biggest issue they had was not understanding the dependencies of the changes that were being made in that architecture. Mm-hmm. So if I'm changing component A, I know that it's it has a dependency in component F and G over here. Mm-hmm. If I know that, I've got traceability back to a test step. So again, I'm I'm running the right test cases to fail as fast up, up, up front. And I'm finding those defects very, very early in the process. So I think it all it comes down to communication and collaboration at the start. And if you can get that right, then that whole prevention method just falls into place. Right. And a commitment uh, as well in the organization. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's key also. It's interesting. I had an interesting conversation with somebody, I think it was last week, and he uh, used the analogy of like a house party, you know, as developers bringing in these outside components. So, you know, you invite a couple of friends, your parents are away and you're going to have yep, this. Yep. And suddenly there are 400 people in your house and you have no idea who half of them are. And they're stealing your, your mother's jewelry and uh, yep. you have no idea what the heck is going on. Yeah. So it's the dependencies that are, are really so tricky to trace and to uh, make sure that it's all locked down. Yeah, I see. I, I was talking to a CIO. This is about 10 months ago. And um he he's a car guy and he's like listen when the car crashes in production no one's wearing a safety belt and their car parts and body parts flying everywhere and it takes me days to weeks to figure out actually what happened so if i understood the dependencies of all the changes that were going in you know i'd have that safety belt on and i wouldn't be crashing the car in the first place right, right. <laughs> very interesting all right, Adrian O'Leary, uh, Senior Vice President of Quality Engineering and Intelligent Automation at Apexon. Thanks so much for your time today. This has been an interesting conversation. Delighted to be here today. Thank you so much for your time. 